I play video games. Fortnite. Overwatch. Minecraft. Cool math games. Schoolwork. Watching movies. Watching TV. Mickey Mouse cartoons. Peppa Pig. Social media. FaceTiming. YouTube. Hi everyone. This is the Techno Panic Podcast. What's a podcast? Here's your host, my mom, Kristen Turner. Hi, welcome to the Techno Panic Podcast, where we talk about all things living and learning in an age of screen time. I'm Kristen Turner, here with my co-host, Ian O'Byrne, and today we continue our four-part series on the Screen Time Research Group, where we are studying our own children and trying to learn how to be better parents in this digital age. Our guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Stevens, who is a teacher, educator, and researcher. Her research interests include literacy teacher education, literacy teacher identity, and literacy and technology. Elizabeth teaches literacy courses at Roberts Wesleyan College, where she also serves as the director of the Literacy MED program. Most importantly, Elizabeth is a mother of two girls, and today she's going to share with us some of the conversations she's been having with her daughters, what she's learned, and a little bit about uh, digital and girls in today's society. So welcome, Elizabeth. How are you doing today? I am well. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So we have been talking about the research that our uh, group has been doing, and I know that you had some conversations with your daughters. You want to tell us a little bit about what you talked to them about? So when our oldest daughter was starting middle school this fall, she was asking for a cell phone pretty soon after school started. And prior to that, in the spring, we attended an orientation where the administration talked about phones and devices and how they're discouraged during the school day, mostly because they suggested that cell phone use can lead to social conflict, sometimes bullying, and could impact students' mental health or their wellness. So they told us that phones weren't allowed in school. And then shortly after that, my daughter came home crying, actually, because there was going to be a reward phone day for good behavior at school. So kids could bring their phones to school and they could use their phone during lunchtime. So I felt like there was this discord between what we were told and what was happening in the school, which then it's sort of that situation kind of primed the pump for me to talk about cell phone use internet use with my daughters because, well, a cell phone was going to be on a horizon because I would never want my daughter to be left out at school. So we kind of had to join in. So the first conversation that I had with my daughters together, I was trying to figure out what they already know and what they wanted to learn about the internet and social media and so forth. So I asked them both to fill in a KWL chart about what they knew about the privileges and or risks that the internet, maybe media more generally, or screen time would provide them or other kids that they know. And then I also threw on, what do you know about social networking? Just to be clear, a KWL chart is something that we use in teaching where we're trying to get at what our youth already know about something, what they want to know about it, and then afterward we look at what they learn. So that's the KWL, right? 
Yes, what they know, what they want to learn, and then what they learned in the end. So I sat down with my girl, and my 11-year-old knew a little bit more. She talked about that they could be entertained from the internet, that they could learn from the internet, that you can read via screen time, and so forth. She talked about some of the risks being people can find your location too much screen time can damage your eyesight, which both my girls see an ophthalmologist and he has said that in a doctor's appointment with them. So that's where that comes from. The people can find your location. My husband and I tell our girls that and it does scare them a little, but we're trying to develop those spidey senses, if you will. But at the risk of scaring them, I'm going to talk about that a little bit in this podcast. We have obviously gotten her the phone and we continue to have ongoing conversations with her about perhaps how she might use pictures to represent herself, how pictures always exist, like they're they're there forever, whether you post them or not, and how sometimes pictures can be used to represent you maybe in a way that you didn't want to represent yourself. So we used, my husband actually came across a video of Tiger Woods in the Presidential Cup, and someone edited the video to make it look like Tiger Woods walked away when the putt was going in like kind of cavalier as if he didn't care. And my husband had watched the presidential cup with my kids. When he saw that come across his Twitter feed, he was like, man, I don't remember that happening. So he looked it up and found the real video and saw no Tiger Woods actually didn't really walk away. It was a deep fake that had been edited. So he, he's like, I'm going to show this to the girls. I, I want them to see that how, you know, photos and pictures and video can be edited to maybe tell a story that, didn't happen or to misrepresent someone. So he sat down with the girls and had showed them both videos. And my oldest daughter who has the cell phone was really like, wow, I I can't believe that. That's so crazy. Like her mind was blown that videos can be edited. So we try to like just take things that we hear or things that we learn and just have teachable moments along the way with her. You're doing a lot of things that we've talked about in the past on this podcast, which is finding real world opportunities or approach points to talk about some of the challenges. You mentioned earlier about this scaring. I think the word used was scaring, you know, scaring your daughters. Explain a little bit more about that. Did you see fear of certain places on the internet or what does this idea of scaring look or sound like in your discussions with your daughters? Well, I mean, we've talked to them about how your IP address can be traced. And when, you put, when you're in videos, like, for example, some of our daughter's friends are on TikTok and they've inadvertently been in videos and places. And we've talked about, like, that's for anyone to see. You don't know if those accounts are private. And so some of those kinds of things, like, they literally have been genuinely afraid of someone finding them, like this pedophile thing. I mean, I think they need an awareness especially girls. We know that girls are are often told digital spaces are not safe for them. And that's not really always true, right? There's positive digital spaces that kids can be in where they might be creating or learning, being engaged in the internet in positive ways. In fact, there is some research out there that suggests that, you know, the more we restrict children, then they have obviously less opportunity and then less positive experiences on the internet. So I think really, it's really important to find that balance between online opportunities and experiencing online in positive ways that with those opportunities because the risk is probably pretty minimal. A lot of the things that we've talked about in the past is that in order for our 
children to be digitally literate, we need to allow them, you know, the opportunity to engage and use these digital tools and they will make mistakes and providing opportunities for parents or educators to help, you know, think through or do a play-by-play or reflect on those experiences. What is the self-talk or what are the, what is the prep that you do or you and your husband do before you have these discussions with your daughter? You know, you, you explained before the Tiger Woods deep fake, basically he saw this and said, that's not real. I want to show our daughters this. Is that generally what happens as you see things come up, you bring it to their attention and use it as a way to warn or teach or uh, inform them about some of the negatives that could happen because I'm trying to go through that in my own house. I think it happens in two ways, really. So one is we experience something or we hear something in our adult social circles. For example, we were out one evening for dinner and we ran into colleagues one of who happens to be a high school guidance counselor. And she was telling us about how she would hold back on the phone as long as possible. This is before we got the phone. Um, Because she every day has girls in her office about sending pictures of themselves and sexting and every day of problems that happen with girls in school with pictures that get exploited in certain ways among friend groups, with boys, etc. So we, we are pretty frank with our daughters about that. Like we come home the next day, we're like, wow, guess what? Guess who we ran into? And she told us about how these girls are sending pictures. Can you believe that? Wow. My daughter will be like, wow, that's crazy. That's terrible. I would never do that. And then we talk about when you take pictures, you always have to think about who's going to see the picture. So that's another conversation we had based on you know, being out in a social situation where we learn of these things, we're like, whoa, we better prepare for that. <laughs> so we say, we, we said to the girls, you know, when you take a picture, you have to think like, what if my math teacher saw it? Would it be okay? What if my grandma saw it? What would my mom think of this picture? And so I think my daughter really does participate in photos with, from that lens, from that conversation on. Um, and again, I don't want it to be scary. That's, that's where I feel like I'm treading because I want my girls to feel empowered by the internet and not afraid of the internet. But at the same time, I agree with you, Ian, we really need to, to develop those spidey senses and that heightened awareness. And so maybe it's not a negative thing. I'm not too sure. It's interesting that you're talking about girls and the sexting and sharing photos. There is some evidence that boys, by the time they're in seventh grade, and then even more so by the time they're in eighth grade, are just fine with asking girls to send them photos of themselves. And a girl is kind of in a in this awkward situation where if she does send the photo, then the boy can use the photo in whatever way he wants to brag to his friends, to share it around. And if she doesn't send the photo, then she's a prude. And we have all these labels put on girls. So I'm wondering though about this idea of safety and um, sharing and being producers and whether this is just a girl issue. What do you think, Elizabeth? I'm not really sure it's just a girl issue, but I do think it's important to think about this work and children's internet use from a perspective of a girl, just because we know it's well established in the literature that girls are positioned in ways where we are often telling them that digital spaces aren't safe for them. And I don't know that I don't have boys. So I don't know that is our boys being communicated in the same way, like, hey, it might not be safe for you. Are either of you talking to, to your sons that way? 
We actually talked with Ian about uh, safety issues with his own son, his nine-year-old son, and I certainly talked with my own son about these things, but there's something different, I think, about the way girls experience the internet. You mentioned TikTok and some of the other social media apps. Your daughter just now has the phone, right? Is she using these apps? No, she's not using any of the apps yet. And when she got the phone in the fall, she said, oh, I really won't want any social media apps. I'm not into them. My friends aren't on them. But since then, you know, months have passed and now some friends are getting Instagram. And she came home probably within the past few weeks and said, can I get Instagram? You know, my friends are on Instagram now. So I feel like some good parental advice is just be prepared to embrace the change and what they want. And then be prepared to have those teachable moments and those conversations. Like it makes me think of how you've used the terms of use with your, your children to say like, this is what you're giving away by participating in this kind of app, whether they get it or not. And so I think I probably will do something like that for her when the time comes. But then I've also looked at like the age restrictions. And I think it suggests that Instagram isn't for what, 13 year olds. So then it's like, she's not 13. So do you do it? Those are things I'm still weighing as a parent. With these kinds of apps, like Instagram, for example, these children now have a wider friend circle than they may have traditionally have. I feel like even locally, everything is more global, like where when we were in school, our friend groups may have been restricted to our social situations in our own high schools. But now, you know, it really, you can cross districts, counties, states, and have friends in, in all kinds of places. So I, I, before I would give her any kind of access to that kind of social media, I would have conversations about what it means to be a friend, how she's representing herself in an online identity. And I think That's probably something also that's a little gendered in my discourse with her is how are you representing yourself? I I mean, again, I don't have boys, so I don't want to over suggest a gendered discourse. But I think especially as women, we we are always having to think about how do you present yourself, even in face to face context. And I do see that difference between my son and my daughter, this the pull or even how they talk about their friends and their friends' use of phones and social media. So I don't really see a difference between who has the device, uh, but the way they use the device is very different. And even between my son and daughter, the way they use the device is very different. So you mentioned earlier the, the good things about the internet, the ability to be a producer or to put content out there or to learn something and be a consumer. My daughter does an awful lot of production. My son learns everything he can about baseball stats, and he's constantly reading about baseball and sports and things like that. So he does a lot more consuming. My daughter talks about her friends being on the social media apps. She is not personally on them, but she talks about her friends. My son says, no, my friends don't do any of that. So it's, it's interesting to me, is this the nature of my two children, or is it a gendered thing? I don't know the answer to that. Kristen, do you talk to your son differently and use different terminology than you talk to your daughter? What is your thought process given that you have a son and a daughter? Yeah, it's interesting having a son and a daughter at the same age too, going through this you know, pre-adolescence and into adolescence at the same time. I would say like you, Ian, I try not to use different language or to talk differently to them, but I will say that my daughter and I end up talking more about these issues with digital devices. Uh, she brings them to me sometimes. So again, I don't know if this is because she's a girl uh, and living this 
you know, seventh grade existence as a girl, or if it's just her personal interest. But given what Elizabeth, you were saying about your own daughter entering middle school, there might be something different about the way girls are experiencing things. Well, I think it's also, you know, part of my concern is that there are ways that women are treated online that are horrific at times. There's a lot of trolling behavior. There's a lot of bullying behavior. We see evidence of sexting and other practices. And so thinking about my daughter, I have concerns. I have colleagues and friends that are women, and I have concerns about the way that they are treated and talked about and vilified um, at times online. And so what intrigues me about all this is, Elizabeth, something that you said before, that you want them to be aware and be cognizant and understand some of the challenges, and you want them to be scared a little bit, but not really scared. But at the same time, you want them to see the good side of all this and you want them to be producers and still share. How do you thread that needle? How do you as a parent that cares about your children thread that needle and say, okay, I understand some of the the concerns and the negative things that can happen, the really, really negative things, but still I see the value in this and I want you to be a digital citizen. How do you do that? I think like Kristen was talking about, it's important to keep the lines of communication open. And I actually read an article um, about parent mediation and um, the findings suggested that um, active mediation, so that's where parents are really having these teachable moments and conversations, might not have a significant indirect relationship with online risks and opportunities. And the and the authors of the article talked about it might be more about the relationship that parents have with their children, that the children can talk to the parents about online. That might be the mediating that's happening. But it also suggested that we uh, take on a new kind of mediation, which is they called participatory learning, where parents and children are learning together by jointly interacting with digital media and being prepared as a parent for maybe your child might actually know more about how the technology works better than you. And so allowing the children to serve as the leader or the guide when engaging in some kind of technology tool. So for me, I think some things I'm thinking about as a parent is keeping the line of communi- lines of communication open with my children. So if someone sends them a picture or if they send a picture and they regret it, they can talk to me about it. You know, these kinds of things, kinds of mistakes are going to happen. Like you said earlier, Ian, when I let my daughter take her phone to school a couple Fridays ago, she came bounding off the bus. Mom, I need your help. I need your help. I honestly, my first thought was the bus driver was having a heart attack and she needed me to run to the bus. Like, I'm not kidding. She was screaming. Like it was a really big problem. Mom, on my game, she plays wordscapes and things like that on the, on the bus when she doesn't have somebody to talk to. It's fairly innocent. She got a, a thing saying she won $1,000. Enter your information. You know how it pushes across the screen? Mom, I only have like 20 seconds left. I won $1,000. And I'm like, oh, honey, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. They want your information. So if you don't have the access to the tool, those conversations can't happen. And now she's like, oh yeah, no, we didn't win. But when we have these tools at our fingertip, we can, fingertips, we can have the conversations when these things happen. But she came running to me. She didn't put in her, her information. She came running to have a conversation with me, which gives me hope and aspiration. You know, um, I also well, it sounds think- like you did the legwork to create <laughs> those communication channels. 
I really hope so. I hope so, especially as we go into the teen years and it's going to get more complicated. You know what they say, little people, little problems, big people, big problems. So um, I also think it's important just to embrace the shifts or tensions, and I'm not sure which I want to call it. You know, this whole, I don't want Instagram, I do want Instagram, and just embracing that what they want is going to change, and then you can have conversations through the changes that they ask for. Those conversations are important um, that it's not just a, well, no, you can't have Instagram. You're not old enough, right? But to, exactly. to engage your child alongside you, like you said, in the joint learning about what is Instagram, what are its good sides, what are its negative sides, what are the potentials that could happen here? Let's think about whether you are ready for responsibility of all of those things. And, you know, getting perhaps to the rule, no, you can't have Instagram yet, but building the capacity in your daughter to be ready for it eventually. Right, exactly. And I, I recognize that children are, and adults are building identities offline, online, and our identities are always shaped by our experiences. And so the way I see it is, is my daughters are building identities online in online communities and they're going to with or without me. So I want it to be with me. So that's kind of the approach and the stance that I want to take is let's do this together and do that kind of participatory learning, doing a little research on my own, but then having those ongoing conversations too. As I prepare for these discussions with my daughter, um, she's four and a half going on five. So in her mind, she is right at that teenage year. Uh, it, she believes she's in adolescence already. At least she acts like it. What's the thought process going into this? When do I start thinking about having these discussions with my daughter? What's the terminology I use? Like, when do I really need to start worrying about this? And then how do I start these discussions? Oh man, I, I feel like I, I may be, I might've been a little behind, you know, cause our original stance in our house was going to be that restrictive stance. Like let's hold off on the phone as long as we could until we were hit in the face with middle school. We were, we were approaching it in a completely opposite way than we are now. And I, I'm grateful for the change. And part of that came out of this work with you two and having conversations about what you're doing with your kids. And it would marinate in my mind after talking to Kristen and talking about the terms and use of Snapchat. And I'm like, listen, hon, if we don't get these tools in our kids' hands, we're not going to have the opportunity to have these teachable moments alongside them because it's going to be too late. I mean, if, we, if you keep restricting, restricting, they miss the opportunities to have the thing pop up and say, you want $1,000. And then to say, mom, 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 what do I do? As they get older, again, it could be worse. It could be something maybe more harmful like sexting or the other things that we talked about. So I guess I would say, Ian, it's never too early, but at the same time, I don't know that I have a firm answer, but I'm grateful for these opportunities to talk to you, other parents, other experienced researchers on literacy and technology, just to kind of get my mind going. And I hope this podcast does the same for other people where they're like, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. And my husband, it maybe took one or two days, but then he was totally on board with Kristen's approach with her own kids. Um, and just to be clear, that approach was kind of like a gradual release. So the middle school thing is definitely a thing, right? They get to middle school and if kids don't have a phone by the time they're in middle school, that middle school line, they are all 
getting a phone and being connected to each other. So you don't want your child to be the one left out and thinking about how there can be gradual release of responsibility or helping your child to not just hand over the phone and say, go at it, right? Um, I think we've used this example before, but one of our colleagues has said, we would never just hand a child a car and say, go, go to town, right? We teach them how to drive the car and use this very complicated, potentially dangerous, but very freeing device over time. So let's think about digital devices in those same ways and give some parental guidance, even when we don't have all the answers, learn alongside them. So I think that takes us to our parental guidance moment of the podcast. What is one thing that a parent can do concrete? Elizabeth, what do you think? What's your advice? My advice is, again, keep the lines of communication open, stay up to speed with what kinds of tools children are using, what kind of apps they're using so that you can kind of get ahead of it when your child asks for it, but then participate in the learning. So if you do say, all right, we'll consider Instagram, read those terms of use and also participate alongside your child so that you can have the opportunities to have the conversations before and then when they happen, you know, when something happens so that you can be there with your child to either remediate or repair their understanding or build their understanding. Thank you, Elizabeth, for all of your insights. Ian, what's your takeaway from today? I'm really thankful that we spent some time thinking about gender as a lens in this discussion and thinking about girls and women and their experiences with technology and trying to think more critically about their identity and the ways that they view their identity online, some of the specific challenges that women have as they engage in digital spaces, but then also not engaging in that moral panic and saying, okay, given some of the concerns, we still think that they should be producers. And how do we think about things that we can do at home, things that our teachers should be doing in the classroom? So it makes me think about, once again, the, the discourse, the language, the talk that I have with my son and daughter at home, but then also makes me think about in my classes that I teach to pre-service teachers, how do we talk about youth, male and female, LGBTQ+, how do we think about youth and digital spaces and how do we problematize that a little bit and not just put individuals into boxes. So I really appreciate the opportunity to think more about gender and especially girls in this. And me too, because especially having a boy and a girl together, thinking about how I've always taken the stance that they both need to learn all the lessons that the other one needs to learn because it can't be just a gendered world, but that my son needs to understand what girls go through in the same way that my daughter needs to understand what boys go through. So being a little more intentional about how I'm talking to each of them is something I'm gonna take away from this episode. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. Uh, We've really enjoyed the conversation and Ian, it was great chatting with you again. You as well. Thank you. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Now I can get back to watching my videos. Pin it out.